Your move, creep. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. The only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. Okay, guys, I know I always say this, but we've got another banger this week. An excellent film that I cannot wait to talk about, and that I'm so lucky I uh, Instagram like reminded me of it. Because this movie is celebrating a big anniversary. We've been doing a lot of anniversaries lately. But I think it's good because it's good to go back on these films and see whether they hold up or not. You know, I have a lot of fond memories of a lot of these films, but, you know, some things don't age well. So that's why it's important to look back. And I'm really curious to see how this film has held up uh, since its release 25 years ago. Austin, what film are we going to be talking about today? Today, we're going to be talking about Selena, the biopic of the musical artist Selena, uh, or Selena, depending on your background, I guess, um, that came out in 1997, directed by Gregory Nava. I've never heard of Gregory Nava. Uh, I'm not really familiar. either. I'm really not familiar with too much of the film aspects of this movie. I, I just know a few things. I know the story. I know some of the mm-hmm. cast, specifically uh, Jennifer Lopez, and Edward James Olmos. Yes. This is the first movie I think I watched with him. And he's incredible. I think this was the movie that introduced me to him. And ever since this, like, I've fallen in love with Edward James Olmos. I, I love him. I think I saw this before Blade Runner. And when I saw Blade Runner, I was like, that that guy looks like someone I know. <laughs> but outside of that, I don't know the director, the cinematographer, editing, music. I, the, I don't know. I don't know who put oh, this. You know the music. Well, uh, yes, the the actual <laughs> Selena songs. Yes, I knew that. I'm talking about the score. Um, these are yeah. things that like I typically kind of keep in mind when I watch a film. And I'll, I'll you know, I'll mm-hmm. keep names here and there. I don't obviously know too like a lot a lot but i like to oh i I recognize this name and stuff but looking at this crew list nothing which is weird because this i grew up with this movie this was a huge movie growing up do you remember when selena you know you you were like five huh uh when selena died no no, no, you were like three four yeah three four ah i remember listening to a lot of selena when i was a kid a lot a lot of, of Selena. Um, Amor Prohibido. Prohibido. Oh my God. I was listening to that in the car. I was going to pick up quarters. Oh. <laughs> this is funny. I was going to pick up quarters for laundry. And I was just listening to that song on repeat. Like this is one of the first songs that I, like, I ever used the repeat function on the stereo for when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I get in line. I get my quarters. And as I'm walking out, a guy was wearing a Selena shirt. Oh my god, that's awesome! And it will. And, and, and the thing about Selena is that, at least if you grow up listening to her, you eventually kind of pause. You you don't always listen to the same artists, right? You listen to them, and then you move on to another artist. But then you always like she always comes back to you, and like 
it's just a wave of every single song yeah. that she ever sang that was like run, that ran through your whole childhood and it's like wow it's like a wave of emotions the only two people mm-hmm. that really do that to me are very uh, polar opposites uh selena <laughs> and nirvana <laughs> like like you know i think yeah i get it though because there there's some there are artists that are like very very popular in the 90s and then they and then they died super young yes and so it's like man what could what would they be like now like what could have music could they have brought to us over you know it, there's always going to be that part of it and there's like the tragedy of of their deaths and I, and I think with selena too there's not there were not a lot of artists that sang in in spanish that crossed over and became like popular for people who didn't speak spanish for english uh, you know for, what i mean uh, for english speakers yeah like mainstream like she was one of the first ones that i can remember selena's kind of weird because she could speak english and but she couldn't speak Spanish like she couldn't have conversations in Spanish, but she could sing in Spanish. I think that was I think that was like a big thing about her because I really? think she couldn't do interviews in Spanish. I don't think so. I think the film definitely made a point about that, where that she could sing in Spanish, uh, but she couldn't speak, have conversations in Spanish. Or if she could, it was like really minimal. But she obviously knew like Spanish words. She knew how to pronounce them. She knew how to sing with them. And. She, I mean, she's from Texas, Hispanic family. She's kind of like this. She perfectly fits in this middle ground area of like Latin culture, but also American culture, which makes her very unique. I definitely remember growing up and listening to Selena and just loving all of her songs. And, you know, I'll stop listening to her every, every so often and then like... I'll be reminded of her and I have to go back and listen to her albums. I think the <laughs> last time, I mean, the last time I had like a wave of Selena was, um, there was this movie on Netflix called someone great with Gina mm-hmm. Rodriguez, I believe as the lead mm-hmm. and like Brittany snow. Um, and there's like a scene cause they're in New York and there's like a scene where they're in a bodega and, and a Selena song comes on. And it's like that slow one. Cause I'm dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's the one. They're singing that. Uh, And I'm just like, it suddenly hits you in the feels. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, and it's like, oh, my God. That's a song she dies to in the movie. Yup. It's it's fantastic. I and you know how like in in like middle school, you're you were a substitute teacher. So, you know how. You know, sometimes they'll have you just play some movies while the teacher's out. You know, you're not really lecturing yeah. them. You'll just have a go-to list of yeah. movies. Selena was one of those movies for us. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, dude. In middle school, we, I've, I've seen this movie so many times growing up. <laughs> this mo- I've seen it a bunch too, but I don't really remember it very well. That's what's really odd. I watched this movie before I realized I wanted to work in movies. And that movies, you mm-hmm. know, like I movies have always been an important thing for me. But there was a yes. there was a moment, a large part of my life where I didn't realize it. I wasn't aware of it. I just liked movies, and this yeah. was this was a movie that, in that was around in that period. And then when I became aware mm. and I become began studying film and stuff, I I haven't seen it since. Same. It's it's due for a reviewing. Absolutely, and I think it, it's interesting because it was made very recently after she died. Like 
two years after she died. Yeah. Damn, she was only 23 years 23. old. 23. And this is what makes me so upset about the one who killed her. Because Selena was this talented at 23. And here's the thing. She died as she was 23. So, But she was talented before then. Think of her when she was 18, mm-hmm. 19, mm-hmm. like going on tour. I, I don't know how. I mean, I'm not too familiar with Selena, the artist. You know, I mean, I, I know about her music, but like her career, I'm not too familiar outside of what the movie presents. Um, yeah. And that's something that I'm going to focus on is like reading about Selena, like the actual Selena and what she went yeah. through. But at 23, being that fucking talented, with huge promise, huge mm-hmm. promise, and she just gets killed. Murdered. Murdered. And something that frustrates me is I never found out why. Because the movie, at least when I remember it, I don't really remember why why she did it. Mild spoilers, I guess, if you've never seen the movie. But yeah. Selena dies, I mean, obviously. Uh-huh. And she's murdered by someone in her like groupies or like by a fan the president of her fan club oh is that who it was okay yeah and i believe she was embezzling money from the organization Mm. and she was found out and so you kill the person that you're i don't know i that maybe we can find out more about that um we do we come back with the research part absolutely but it gets me so fucking angry thinking about that like, yeah. that's some despicable ass shit. Like, I can't mm-hmm. even, I just, it, like, even thinking about it gets me so angry. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I can't even talk. I just. Yeah, I, I get it, though. Like, it's, I don't know, with, I think with, with artists like uh, Selena, um, Jennifer Lopez, and even Shakira, like, if you, if you besmirch them in any way, like, you, you're, you're going to get it. From their fans, you know, BTS too. Yeah. Like it, it, like people's connection with them are just so like intense and personal. And uh, it, it feels personal when, when somebody killed Selena. Yeah. And the thing, it was sad, but it was also infuriating. You know, I was talking about Nirvana. Kurt Cobain's suicide was tragic. It was, it was really, mm-hmm. really sad. But this whole Selena thing was just, it was depressing and horrible and maddening because you're just thinking this woman did nothing to you you know she meant so much to you and to so many other people not just hispanics and that's the worst part too this woman was like beloved by so many people and that got taken away i no i that that's that's the only i think issue i'm gonna have rewatching the movie it's just <laughs> that well that reliving that trauma again yeah because it, it fucked me up as a kid too because the movie doesn't show from what i remember it doesn't show you selena dying it's very much implied no. and this movie came out what two yeah. years after her real death yeah so they weren't gonna do that oh, that would have been that would have been in very at the time it would have been in bad taste i mean movies do it nowadays yeah and sometimes like with two years after it actually happens yes. you're putting that family through that again mm-hmm. Absolutely. To, to make money off of, you know, her, her, her life story. Yeah, it know? feels like you're very much profiting off of it instead of telling her story. There was a movie called Milk with Sean Penn where he plays Harvey. Harvey Milk. Yeah. Where Sean Penn played Harvey Milk. And I wasn't sure if he was a political activist or. a. Yeah, he was a politician. Okay. And he was murdered by Josh Brolin or mm-hmm. Josh Brolin's character. And they actually show you like 
what they imagined the death would have been like, you know? And it's tough mm-hmm. to watch, but it's very impactful. And I, you know, it granted it's fucked up, but yeah, you know, the, the filmmakers wanting to show that is it, it's a tough decision. It's also like super far removed from when it actually happened. This, this happened in the 70s. Exactly. The movie came out in 2008. Completely different. Two years after her death, they couldn't have shown her death. But that was what was so confusing to me because I was like, wait, what just happened? Because you see her perform with like the one light shining on her, like in this dark, like concert area or something. And then mm-hmm. you see a bunch of people sad and crying. I was like, wait, what happened? What? Yeah. So... No, but this movie is celebrating the 25th anniversary. It's we definitely need to rewatch it. Also, in mm-hmm. 2021, the film was selected for preser- preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Damn. Congress as being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And we've done a few movies that have been on that list. Yes, most recently, I think within our gates. That's how that's how we were able to watch it for free. It's on the Library of Congress on YouTube. Oh, that, oh that's right. Okay, I watched it through the Criterion streaming sh- uh, channel, uh, streaming network. But you mm. are right. I remember that. I think another one is The Godfather. Oh the yes, Godfather. Absolutely, that's on there. So too. you know that when a movie's on there, it's kind of a big deal. You know, not to take away the movies that, <laughs> not to take away from movies that aren't on the list. You know, because I'm sure there are a lot of films that aren't in the Library of Congress that should be. Right. Oh, another one, Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, nice. So we've done, we've covered a few films, and Selena is joining the ranks finally as of last year. So mm-hmm. this is kind of leading me down a good feeling, good about it. You know, like okay, I have good memories about it. How how is it aged? Well, it's in the Library of Congress. The film has a pretty decent Rotten Tomato score, like sixty seven through critics out of forty eight reviews pretty good so it's not bad, not bad not, uh, according to most critics not great but not not bad i mean dirty dancing was 69 percent, but i love the hell oh, out that of that movies that movies awesome. that movie's awesome i love exactly. it exactly so i'm really excited to rewatch this film i'm wondering like how much of it is just kind of like a celebration of her life and maybe that factored into how how much people love this movie um because she had just died two years ago and you get this movie we remember all of her music and uh jennifer lopez is in it and she she does a really great job Mm -hmm. so good it launches her own hollywood career Mm -hmm. and then she goes into singing you know and then we get like a new latina pop star out of it Mm -hmm. like that that's a big deal you know but like what about the movie itself Mm -hmm. how how good is the movie actually Aside from like the, its cultural significance and how much it means to people who listen to Selena, Selena. Well, it's it's um, like it's like with The Godfather or most of the other movies we do here. Is the actual movie good? Because we're seeing this movie, particularly me, with these rose tinted glasses. Well, well, both of mm-hmm. us are actually. Yeah, we're both looking at it through these rose tinted glasses. But how does the film hold up? I think it might hold up pretty well because I feel like. Because from what I can remember, the film was really about her and her family, particularly her father, right? Because yeah. he was, and he like was the, the patriarch. The, there's like a, yeah. He was a patriarch of the family, and he was very, like, defiant in Selena, kind of. He, he wanted his daughter to be, like, 
clean cut, very conservative and stuff. And I remember that they made a whole big deal about when she went on up on stage in like a bra. And I remember that Selena and her father in the film, according to the film, they had a very contentious relationship. It was like a love and hate thing. He was very mm-hmm. demanding, obviously like patriarch. And she is wanting to, she's, I mean, she was 20, 21, 22. You know what I mean? At the time, young woman, she wants to, she wants to express herself. And then I remember that she gets with Chris Perez and that becomes like a thing where the father doesn't approve. Yeah. So I, I think it goes into her life and kind of the story of a woman coming into this and having to deal with the responsibilities that come with fame, wanting to be an artist, being, Mm -hmm. being a part of a family and kind of staying true to them, but also being independent. I feel like the film definitely made a point about getting that across. So I think that's going to hold up pretty well. Yeah, I would think so as well. So the highest grossing movie of 97 was Men in Black, uh, $250 million. Good film. Great film. Next, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, mm. or Jurassic Park 2. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. It's fine. You know, it's, it's got the parts, yeah. you know. Number three, Liar Liar. Damn. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey owned the 90s. Number four, Air Force One, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Get off my plane. Uh, number five was the re-release of Star Wars, A New Hope. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. With $137 million at the box office. The next is My Best Friend's Wedding. Number seven was Titanic. Only because it was released in December of 97. Oh, but 98 was where it made most of its money. T- Titanic made over a billion at the yeah. box office. Eventually. You know, um, number eight, classic movie right here. Face off. Oh, John Travolta, Nick Cage. We might have to make we we might have to cover that movie later on. That movie. I would love to see this movie again. Wild. And when I first saw it, I was kind of like, it's just an action movie. And then I, I watched pieces of it again. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait a second. This is actually really funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> number nine, Batman and Robin. Mm. Batman's there's a new Batman movie out right now on HBO Max. Yep. Uh George this is George Clooney's Batman. Mm-hmm. And number 10, George of the Jungle. Brendan Fraser. Oh man. That was a big that was a big movie, man. That movie blew the name George up. <laughs> so people were calling you George of the yeah. Jungle. Yeah. Well, they were saying Jorge, Jorge of the Jungle, mm-hmm. cuz this was when I was in Bell Gardens and then when I moved to Paramount, mm-hmm. people started saying George of the Jungle. God, I remember that. Also coming out this year, Con Air, another Nicolas Cage movie. Jerry Maguire. Ooh. Hercules. Scream. And Scream 2? In the same no. year? No, this, this is Scream 2, and then I think Scream is re-released. Okay, gotcha. Tomorrow Never Dies. And uh, The Fifth Element. And Jungle 2 Jungle. Oh, this is the, this is the year of jungles. Oh, and Starship Troopers. <gasps> Ooh. Paul Verhoeven. Great. Great movie. Great movies. Yeah. yeah 97 uh, was a good. I mean, these are good years. We've been, we've been on a roll. 90s were a great time. Looking back at it. They were. Like we we glorify like, you know, the 70s and 80s a lot. But I'm like, 90s got some bangers. Oh, yeah. You, you had people doing all kinds of shit in the 90s. Yeah. You had Pixar animations coming out, making Toy Story. Then you have slashers like 
like scream that are making that like turn the genre on its head. Exactly. Uh, you're getting big hits like Titanic. Original sci-fi property in the fifth element. Yeah. That's never going to happen again. Uh, not if it's not not if it's uh original and not based on a book. It was, it was great. Um, I think we might. But Selena, Selena is interesting because it didn't actually make that much at the box office. I did not know. It, the budget was 20 million. Mm hmm. And it made $35 million at the uh, domestic box office, mm -hmm. which is, like, not that good. It's but... not not great. No, it's it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't even say it's good. But what I will argue and what I am curious to check is to see how this movie has held up with time. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, rentals for this movie must have been huge because we saw this movie so Absolutely. much. There's no way this movie is not like most people know about this movie even if they because they they know j-lo right and most yeah. people who know j-lo know selena like it's almost like, right it's weird it's almost like j-lo and selena's lives are like unified do you know what i mean mm -hmm. which is really strange because when you think of daniel day lewis you don't automatically think of like abraham lincoln even though he wanted people to call him mr president on the set because he was lincoln. doing the whole method thing yeah Ugh. but with selena it's very much like Selena and J-Lo like, like helped each other or like they're a unified force. And I'm not saying J-Lo, like I'm not saying she's not talented or anything. No, the woman has gone on to form her own career. But it, but I mean, I'm willing to bet that when you say J-Lo, people will kind of know about Selena, at least vaguely. I think this is one of those cases where like you can't measure the impact of the film just by looking at the numbers mm -mm. of the domestic box mm -mm. office. Because clearly, it has reached a lot of people. The reach that this movie has had, and $30 million? That's nothing in the grand scheme of things. So I'm sure that this movie had a lot more staying power in rentals, blockbuster. Because um, so, Selena the singer is big. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to take that away. But the movie was instrumental in pushing Selena's narrative even further to the next level. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, was there anything else you wanted to look up? Well, I wanted to I, I wanted to just learn more about Selena herself and kind of how how real is the film? Because I've always taken the film's word to be 100 percent honest, which. Yeah, what, it's what, like this is history right here. Well, that's how I saw it as a kid. <laughs> Growing up, you mm -hmm. realize eh, most movies are... They take liberty. Yes, absolutely. You know? So I'm definitely curious to learn more about Selena and kind of give the actual artist, not the movie, but the actual artist, some credit and some background. So even for our listeners who are familiar about Selena through the movie, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about her and give her the respect that she deserves. Mm-hmm. So with that... Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We forgot to tell people where to find this movie. Unfortunately, I don't think it is like a part of any streaming service right now, but you can find the movie on Amazon Prime and YouTube and everything. Earlier in April, there was actually a re-release, a theatrical re-release of Selena. So if you if we had a time machine, if we released this episode two weeks ago, we'd be able to find it in the theaters. Yeah. You don't you don't put movies like this in the theaters if they didn't have some like significance you know what i mean a hundred percent i mean think about the movies that we've watched on that we've talked about on this podcast that we've were able to watch in theaters i saw the godfather in theaters we were able to see the matrix 
And the Matrix. Star Wars came out in 97. The re-release of Star Wars. Re-release of Titanic. Selena's up there with all those movies. It, it's in the in, library. In some way. It's, yeah, it's in the Library of Congress. Uh, it, it got a re-release in theaters. And this is not the first time. If you want to watch this movie along with us, you can find it on Amazon Prime, on YouTube, on Voodoo, on Apple TV, all those rental services. Or maybe you have the movie in DVD or Blu-ray format, which, which is also awesome. Um, but we will see you. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. What's happening? We're wrong. You can actually stream this movie on HBO Max right now. Are you serious? A hundred percent. I Googled it. It didn't come up, but I went to HBO Max because this is a Warner Films. I put in Selena. Yes. And it's there. Good job, George. Good job. So, hey, you guys, look, I know you've been rewatching the Batman. OK, I get it. You like it. It's fun. It's cool. It's cool. It's, it's going to be there forever. Exactly. So why don't you give the Batman a break and go show our girl Selena some love? It's two hours, right? So you could, you know, it's you're not giving up the same three hours like you would if you were watching the Batman again. <laughs> so go. It's on HBO Max. Check it out. So if you have HBO Max, you can watch it there. And with that, we will see you in one minute. Hello, everybody. We are back from watching Selena or Selena from 1997, starring Jennifer Lopez. And I think her first starring role in her career as an actress. And man, did this like make me feel very homesick and nostalgic. (laughs) Oh, man. Mm, Yep. It's really tough because watching this movie just brings back so many memories of like watching this movie and kind of reacting to like remembering the music and it it is a nostalgia trip. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like it holds up pretty well Mm -hmm. more so than any other movie. It's hard for me to like distance my like personal attachment to (laughs) the movie and Selena. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, there's some stuff where I'm like, okay, that's kind of goofy, but I'm like, for example, Maybe we should get into the story. I don't know. I I just I loved the experience of watching this movie again. I'm just going to say that that was it was amazing watching this again. I'm 100 percent with you. 100 percent. It's tricky because, you know, you try to we try to watch movies and try to, you know, just really keep ourselves a little not completely in it, you know, so we could try to see it as best possible, you know, but there's so much history that I have personally with this movie that. I can't help but be emotional about it, about just the movie, not even about the actual, like what the story is, but just the movie and seeing J-Lo in the role of Selena. It's just emotional in some sense. So I agree with you. Like, I really had a fun time watching this movie. And I love it. 
mm-hmm. but I do have some beefs with it. Um, now, again, I totally recommend people to watch this movie. It's on HBO Max. Give it a shot. Maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen it in a long time. Check it out. It's a nice um, time capsule. Absolutely. A Hispanic time capsule. I have some problems with it, but I mean, if anything, it's problems that I have with the music biopic genre in general. Uh, okay. Um, and there are certain things about this movie that embraces those tropes. And mm-hmm. maybe, and here's, and here's the tricky thing. These are tropes that have been established for decades. And this movie came out in 97, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in 97, and you know, when I watched this as a kid, not having seen a lot of those music biopics, I didn't have problems with these tropes. But years later, after having seen like Walk the Line, Ray, um, that Bohemian Rhapsody one, it's like, I'm kind of done with these tropes, especially having <laughs> seen Dewey Cox. Um, Which is a parody of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of skewers your vision a little bit when you watch music biopics. So having seen after having seen a lot of those movies and Dewey Cox and going back and rewatching this, it's a weird mixture of being nostalgic and loving loving what I'm seeing, but then also just seeing some of the cracks in the film that have like, ah, okay, why'd you have to do that? You know, it's just it's just simple things, yeah. but. This movie came out in 97, 25 years ago. So, you know, there's, it's tricky, right? Because you're trying to see it objectively, but there's a nostalgia aspect and a nostalgia aspect that's being affected by films that have been released after this. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting watch and it's a very interesting film to talk about. So let's talk about it. Yeah. But you recommend it, right? Of course I recommend Uh, it. If you guys haven't seen it, go check it out. It's on HBO Max. Even if you don't know who she was, like, I feel like this kind of gives you a a picture of who she was as a person. Because I feel like it is pretty accurate, like in sentiment and capturing her persona and what she meant to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just kind of get like lost in it. You know, you're like along for the ride. You're like there for her success and heartbroken when it all ends. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you want to do the summary? No, you go for it. Okay. Well, the movie starts with uh, Selena, played by Jennifer Lopez. And I'm going to be saying Selena and Selena. The difference is in Spanish, you say it Selena. And in English, you say it Selena. It's like George and Jorge, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's the same. But like for, for some reason... People are okay with the Americanization of, of their names. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a cultural thing, and some people do it. And if you have a prom with it, then you say something. But if you don't, you let it go. And Selena didn't have a prom, didn't seem to have a prom with it. Um, yeah, even in the, I think in the movie, they always call her Selena, except for when she's in Mexico and the crowd is chanting, Selena, Selena. Selena. Yeah. So if you're confused by why we're saying Selena, it's because trying to say it the way you're supposed to say it, I guess. But I guess there's no real way you're supposed to say it because she was a woman of the people. Right. Yes. And she was like, I'm whatever you want, you whatever you want to call me to a certain extent. And she was like, I'm here for you. And I love to she was an entertainer more than anything. Yeah. And she was like, hey, and and she was a woman that inhabited both of these cultures, Mexican and American, Texan, American, Tejano. Tejano. So 
you know, some, you know, when you have all these mixtures and backgrounds and cultures, you know, it's some weird stuff might be bound to some stuff might sound a little off or a little weird. And it's, you know, it happens. It's, it's very um, interesting because like I, I'm multiracial. So like I get some of the things that they talk about in this movie with like not being uh, Mexican enough for the Americans, Ooh. not being American enough for the Mexicans. We will get stuff, into that. Or some, something like that, not being Mexican enough for the Mexicans. I'm not Mexican, but I'm I'm of Latin descent, and sometimes I feel like I'm not a good Latino, you know, because I've forgotten Spanish and and all that. But we'll, I guess we'll get into it later. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a great movie. I'll, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how much I love it, I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the movie starts with Selena going to the Astrodome, uh, and she's like on her, not horseback, but it's like a carriage drawn by horses. She's waving to the crowd. She gets on stage and does like a disco medley. And then it goes into a flashback of this doo-wop group with three Latin Latin men. Um, and they're getting kicked out of a, of a place that they drove to because they're Mexican. The, the restaurant owner thought the Dinos were Italian. And he's like, well, we can't have these Mexicans here. So he kicks him out and then the Dinos go perform in a Mexican establishment and they're singing these doo-wop songs. And the crowd is like, this is gringo music. Get the fuck out of here. And and there's that one woman who's like, we want to dance as they're being like escorted away by the police. We want to dance. And then it kind of flashes forward to one of the members of the Dinos, uh, Abraham Quintanilla Jr., who is Selena's father, played by Edward Edward James Olmos. Uh, he's with his with his family, um, and he's playing. He's since given up music. He has a job. They don't say where it is, but it's actually at a, a Dow Chemical. He works for Dow Chemical, and he's just kind of with his family. And he notices that his daughter is really good at singing. And he gets this idea to like get all of his kids, uh, A.B., his, his son, and Suzette, his uh, other daughter, and then his youngest, Selena, to start a band together. Uh, and they start practicing. They don't want to practice. Uh, he tries to get her to sing in Spanish because she doesn't know Spanish. And she's like, wait, what? And he's like, well, you're, you're part Mexican. So, you know, you got to hang on to some of your culture. The wife... Marcella, she's like, what are you doing? I thought you were done with music. He's like, oh, it's for the kids. We'll be a family. Uh, and then as time goes on, he opens up a restaurant. And he's like, all right, I'm going to have a stage here so the kids can play and keep the people entertained. You know, there's no Mexican food in this area that we're living in. So the white people love Mexican food. We'll, we'll be fine. Time goes on. They're, the band is, you know, making people happy, making people dance. but this is the 80s. This is Reagan's America. And there is a recession. So the restaurant goes under and the family has to declare bankruptcy. And they get by on the music of the band. And they're touring. They have this cute moment by the beach talking about, uh, hey, if you really want it, you can do it. And you have something special. We can, we can do this. And... Selena gets a dancing lesson from her mom. They do the washing machine. And then it kind of fast forward into an older Selena. And now it's, now it's played by Jennifer Lopez. And she's performing. And she's in a, a bustier. 
which is like a bra with rhinestones on it. And her dad's like, wait, what? What's going on? You can't be wearing that. There's men here. Um, but she's killing it. And there's kids in the audience that come up and dance on stage with her. I think the song is Baila Secumbia, I think. Um, and after the show, you know, they, they get paid, but they're not being paid a lot because Selena is a woman. And Tejano music is mostly done by men. And he kind of like gets mad at her for wearing a bra. And she's like, no, it's a cool thing. And then afterwards, they kind of make up and they continue just driving around, making music, getting barely getting by their their bus breaks down. And these these Mexican dudes are driving around and she kind of hitchhikes and says, hey, help us out with this bus. And they're like anything for Salinas. And then they try to pull the bus out with their car and their bumper falls off. And they're like, don't worry about it. I'm going to hang this bumper up in my as a shrine in my garage say selena's bus took my bumper off so she's getting a little bit famous they're becoming more and more successful as a band and they, they start recruiting uh for a new guitarist and enter chris perez who eventually becomes selena's husband uh they're he has like long hair he comes from like a metal background and his dad's the dad's like mm, i don't know about this guy he's too hard rock he's too heavy metal doesn't fit our style the AB is like, dude, he can play. So they bring him into the band, cut his hair. He meets Selena. He's he's like smitten, kind of. She's kind of checking him out uh, on the bus. She asks him if she wants pizza. And he's like, sure, let's go. Let's go get pizza. And he has a like hot sauce and a holster and he puts on the pizza. It's really dorky and cute. They start a relationship uh, kind of in secret because they're afraid of what the dad's going to say. Uh, her music is number one on the radio. They're they're all excited. Um, they go to a concert in Mexico, and she has a Mexican press conference, and she kind of has to learn Spanish. And the dad's worried about, hey, if if your Spanish isn't perfect, they're going to tear you apart. You know, this is where the whole like Mexican, not Mexican enough for the Mexicans, too American, not American enough for the Americans comes into play. Uh, so what she does is she goes around and hugs every single person there, kind of wins them over first so that when she has to speak Spanish and she doesn't know the words, it's fine. They, they laugh it off. It's it's great. When they get to the, the performance, the crowd is nuts. There's only supposed to be 10,000 people there, but now it's 100,000 people there. There's not enough security. They start pushing and the stage almost collapses. People are getting squished. So they stop the show and then Selena is asked, can you calm down this crowd? So she does one of her songs, uh, Como La Flor, but she does it like a slowed down version, kind of calms everybody down and then goes on with the rest of the performance. And it's, it's great. Then, then I think the dad finds out about Chris and Selena and he is livid. He like fires him. And says, if you go after him, I'm going to cancel the band. <laughs> so they continue to see each other in secret. And then she's, she decides, okay, if my dad's going to take this relationship seriously, we have to get married. So they elope. And then she's like, okay, now I got to figure out how I'm going to tell my dad. But then the press leaks that they've been married. Uh, and she's like, okay, well, give my dad a day. Day, day goes by, she goes over to her dad, and he's like, I understand why you did it. And then they all make up, and they're all family again. 
And then uh, I think this is when Selena wins the Grammy, right? Mm, I think I she wins. So. The, just, things are just going well for the band, right? She wins the Grammy, and she has like before she like goes up and accepts it. She has like a flashback to like her life, bef- her life as a kid, and when she's dreaming of like becoming a successful artist. Um, she has so much momentum that a record a major record label wants to make a crossover album for her to sing in English, um, which is her, her first language, by the way. Uh, and she has this fan club president. Well, she opens up the boutique. She opens up a boutique and she puts her fan club president, uh, Yolanda Sel- Saldivar. Yolanda Saldivar. Yolanda Saldivar. And she's Itch. like, all right, you're going to run my, you, my boutiques. Um, and then she goes, that's, I think that's when she goes to the Grammys. But things are just going well. Like, they're going so well. She has a house with Chris. And they're like, let's, let's have kids. I want babies. And he's like, okay, let's get started. <laughs> um, oh, th- this is when the movie gets really dark. Because mm-hmm. we find out that Yolan, that there's been some money missing. Some fans have been ordering stuff. And they haven't been getting the deliveries. There's, like, money missing from the boutiques. And they're like, it's it's got to be Yolanda. And, and Selena's like, it can't be Yolanda. She's my friend. She wouldn't do that to me. And then they confront her. And then she's like, oh, well, I'll find those documents that are missing. I promise. I, I would never steal from Selena. And then we we go back to that Astrodome performance. And we get a, we hear one of her English songs, Dreaming of You. And then there's like a white rose that somebody throws at her. And she like misses it. And then it cuts to like news footage of selena being shot and they're like carrying her out on a stretcher and she has this ring that yolanda gave her that she like drops um and we find out that yolanda shot selena and then we see the family grieving and we hear music and we hear we see like footage of the actual selena performing and like how the the concerts of the movie were recreating those like actual real life concerts that that she had good so good and then it's over it kind of has like a you know um it kind of has a recap of what her life was like and people grieving her death and it's awful dude i hate yolanda a lot of people do so i focused more on the making of the film austin researched um the real life selena but i read up a little bit about her death and it makes me hate her even more. Yeah. I I dis I hate Yolanda. Oh, she's but we will get to her. We'll get to it, yeah. So I I wanted to start off with a really kind of funny a little funny thing that I actually said in the first part that normally I like to keep track of the directors and cinematographers, music people that I of the films that I watch. And I said that I didn't really know Gregory Nava too much. I'd never heard of him. That's because I wasn't paying attention. Because I actually have seen another film by him. You have? He's actually made he's actually made a few films that were really impactful. One of the films that he directed was called El Norte. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. No, I have not. It was a 1983 film. And I remember watching it in, in uh, Spanish class in high school. Um, that one of my professors showed us in class, along with Selena... It's really interesting because I didn't know. I don't know if she knew that they were directed by the same guy, Gregory Nava. El Norte is incredible. It's a beautiful, beautiful film about these uh, Guatemaltecos who illegally enter the U.S. because of the revolution that's happening there. So they go through Mexico and they go 
they go into LA and their lives, kind of how difficult it is to be an immigrant in the US, especially in the legal one. Beautiful film. It's in the Criterion Collection. Amazing. Beautiful film. I even gifted my mom the DVD of it because I was like, this is a beautiful film that you need to watch. And then he'd go on to make Selena and he would go on to uh, direct Frida with Sama Hayek. Oh, yeah. So, Frida. This man, so it's really interesting because Abraham met with the director, Gregory. He met with the producer, right, to make the film. And the producer brought in Gregory Nava and Abraham didn't want Gregory because he said he has an ego. Like, this dude has a big ego. I don't want to work with him. And the producer wow. was like, look, man, everyone's got an ego in Hollywood. <laughs> but this is the guy to do it. And if you look at his credentials, I mean, El Norte, um, at the end of August, like, he's he is very much in tune with Hispanic Mexican culture. And I think he did a great job. You could definitely see it in the in the filmmaking of it. But I thought it was interesting mm-hmm. because I recognized a film that he directed, a beautiful film. I think El Norte is better than Selena. I will I will say that. And what's funny is originally another director that they were looking at to get was Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner? Yeah, Rob Reiner to direct hmm. this, Princess Bride. However, they approached them, but then he made a film called North. In 1994, <laughs> that was a critical and box office failure. So they actually moved away from Ron Breitner. Oh, poor guy. Because of a film that he made called North. And they went with Gregory Nava, who directed a good film called El Norte. Which means North. Which means Spanish. North. Exactly. <laughs> I thought that was, I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> it is kind and, of funny. And I think they did the right choice with going with Gregory Nava. Yeah, I think um, so too. I think that there's... Uh, something about this movie feels more like authentically Latino inspired. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know if it would have been appropriate or as appropriate for Rob Reiner to do it. Nothing against Rob Reiner. It's just I feel like this story is special for Latinos. It's tough because I feel a particular way about that because I think Rob Reiner would have made a good sell in the movie. And I don't think you strictly yeah. need a Mexican director. You, right. I mean, we saw Cool Runnings, which was directed by a white guy, not a Jamaican, but it was still enjoyable. Yeah, there is a truth to maybe having someone who has a closer attachment to the source material than someone who mm-hmm. isn't. You know, I mean, I mean, uh, who said this? I think it was Denzel Washington when because they were having and they were it was around Hollywood talking about how do you make di- films diverse? Is it in the casting? Is it in the directing, the writing? And Denzel said it, Denzel Washington says that it's a cultural thing, right? It's the culture that matters. And that's how you make films diverse. And he was saying, Steven Spielberg could make Goodfellas and it'd be a pretty good movie. And you could have Martin Scorsese direct Schindler's List. It'd be, it'd be pretty good. But swapping them and having Steven Spielberg, a Jewish man directing Schindler's List and Martin Scorsese, an Italian man, Italian-American directing Goodfellas, they add their own essence and closeness to the to the material that that maybe another director might not have. And yeah, I think that's what happens here. Gregory Nava, you know, I mean, the, the movie isn't like strictly Mexican or Hispanic, but there are some things in there that you kind of pick up on. <laughs> if you're Hispanic, you're like, you know what? That's some shit my dad would say, or that's the way my dad would say that. Or th- like when you see uh, Edward James almost 
as Abraham in his tidy whities going in a bed. <laughs> I have that image of my dad as well growing up. And it's yeah. a it's a subtle thing. Does it make or break the film? It adds to it. Yeah, what did it for me was the way that Chris acts, I think. Like mm. I know that guy. You know oh what I mean? Oh my god. <laughs> Thing. I was like, I know I met dudes in high school that were like Chris. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, uh, also sidetrack. I really thought you kind of his hair was very similar to you. And I was like, damn, I oh, really yeah. wish Austin would get a haircut now and like pull it in the ponytail. And like, I like it if you like it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like Gregory kind of it knew where to inject that Hispanic sense and all the characters had it i mean edward james almost obviously j-lo john seda you know i mean again i'm not saying you have to strictly be hispanic or mexican to make this movie but it, it adds to it and it the adds, reason it, you add something that like other people wouldn't even think to do if that makes sense yeah and it, it's not that it's impossible for white people to add it because there might be p- white people who know about hispanic culture very well that could do it it's happened but there mm-hmm. is something to there is something that Gregory brought in, especially since he's very familiar with Hispanic culture. I mean, go back to El Norte. That movie is literally about Hispanic culture and trying to assimilate. So it's he demands very in tune with it. The only reason I hesitate to say that you have to be Mexican or Hispanic is because. How far are we willing to take that? Right, because in like in Cool Runnings, the, the men not being Jamaican j-lo is not mexican no she's puerto rican she's puerto rican and that was a big problem that they ran into when they were casting the film because people were insulted mexican uh news outlets hated the fact that j-lo was puerto rican and they were like after we announced that uh jennifer lopez had been selected to portray selena boy i started getting calls the minute I got the part, I had to do this big press conference, which I had never had to do for any part I had ever gotten. The Mexican press was going to be difficult. We knew this. How dare you pick a Puerto Rican to play our beloved Selena? <laughs> and uh, it kind of freaked me out. There was tons of controversy of the fact that I wasn't Mexican. I just knew it was going to be about proving that I was the right person to do it. When Jennifer went to the press conference in Mexico and the one up here, she won the Mulvin exactly like Selena did. After she got the, you know, the, the part and all that, she came down and spent a couple of days with me. I felt like she was a lot like my sister. You know, there was something about my spirit and her spirit that were similar. She was, she's so good in this movie. God damn. Like, she's so charming. I, I have a take about J-Lo and I don't want to like insult her or anything, but I think this is the best she's ever been in terms of acting. And and don't get me wrong. I like J-Lo. Um, mm-hmm. I think she's been in a lot of good projects. That says more about her casting and the mm-hmm. energy that she brought to Selena. And here's the thing too. I remember watching a video where a linguistics as- expert breaks down different accents from different mm-hmm. films. You might have seen it. It's on YouTube. It's a very popular video where this guy breaks down different accents and kind of how the actors portray that accent. And he talks about Selena and he's like, J-Lo kind of brings a very strange thing to this. It's not authentic 100%, but it's not bad because J-Lo is a Puerto Rican 
born and raised in New York, uh, who's playing a Mexican woman from Texas. Her accent ranges from being authentic to being to sounding more New York than Texan, which is which Selena had a Texan accent. Mm-hmm. So the accent, uh, what I'm trying to say is the accent isn't totally there 100 percent. JLo doesn't look like Selena. I don't think so. Not until she's got like all the makeup on. She's like dancing. But then it's like, wait a minute. You're not you're not Selena. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of those things where if you put a picture next to each other, you're like, oh, no, they are different. They look different. Yeah, it's not it's not like in some other movies where it's like, oh, my God. This person looks and sounds exactly like the character that they're portraying. But. Given all that. And given that J-Lo doesn't sound exactly like Selena, she doesn't sing. J-Lo's dubbed with Selena's mm-hmm. actual... She didn't start her singing career until after this movie. Yeah. So J-Lo's not singing. Her accent's a little wobbly. She doesn't look like Selena. Given all that, though, she brings Selena's energy 100%. You buy mm-hmm. what she's doing. You get... It's almost like It's almost like Selena and J-Lo are like the same person. Which is a really odd thing to say. And because J-Lo is committed to portraying Selena in such a vibrant and lively and entertaining manner that she, J-Lo almost immortalizes Selena. Right? Because that's why they made the film, to immortalize Selena, to clear up Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that tabloids were saying that, oh, she was pregnant when she was murdered. That she, her and her family had issues and stuff like that. And they had like six biographies that were being written about it that were unauthorized. Jesus. They were unauthorized. They had like two documentaries. None of that approved by the family. None of it. None of it went through the family. This film yeah. was made with the family's involvement all the way through in the casting. Yeah, you've, you see uh, Abraham's name as executive producer at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. So the family is very much involved with it. And multiple times they say, J-Lo, when she wore the outfits, when she was performing, it was my sister or it was my daughter. And they were brought to tears and they had such a hard time because they could see it. They realized at that moment that J-Lo is Selena. And and that's the leg that's the real legacy for this movie, in my opinion, is that J Lo somehow found a way to immortalize Selena to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if generations from now, when they talk about Selena, people's image of of J Lo is gonna be in their head when they're referring to Selena. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't I don't know I don't know if it'll go that far, because I've seen some of the uh, Selena conventions in like part of the research for this movie, and they don't mention J Lo at all. I don't I don't know. I that's my that's my take. That's my personal. I feel that way. Um, Grant, being someone who was obviously a child, a baby when Selena died and when this movie came out, I was four years old when this movie came out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I remember listening to Selena, but not really watching her in terms of watching Selena. This was my experience with it. And absolutely. And having done research and seeing the background and stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, Selena, beautiful woman. I, I have that idea in my head. But watching this film and you're seeing Selena being portrayed outside of the concerts, outside of interviews, and you're seeing her interact with her family. That's Selena for me. It's J-Lo. That's what I love about the movie the most. It's J-Lo. I agree with that. 
Like yeah. that, she's so good. Like I don't know, I don't understand how you can dislike J Lo after watching this movie. You can't. You I don't can't. understand. <laughs> no, I don't get it either. And and you might not you you might not be a fan of J Lo. You might not like her music. You might not like her acting. Hey, that's all's fair. All's fair in in movie making. But I I if you watch her in this movie and you dislike her, I really have to wonder where that's coming from. Like you <laughs> yeah. you, you might be. I'm not, I'm not not I'm not saying racist or anything, but it's definitely like okay, what what do you have against her? And what are you critiquing it off of? Because like, because if you're an expert, because if you're an expert linguistics and you're seeing what JLo's doing, it's like, okay, that's an aspect of it that maybe she's not landing. But look at the performances. Look at how she talks. Look at how she's acting with her family and her relationship with Chris and stuff. I, you know, I really, I dug it and I believed it. And I, I do think it's the best part of the film. Oh, yeah. By far, yeah. Could you have had a Mexican woman play Selena? Absolutely. She might have looked like her more. She might have sounded like her more. But then you run the risk of maybe it just not coming off on screen as well. Do you know what I mean? Like J-Lo isn't singing. J-Lo can't sing. Or maybe at this point she can. But at this point in time in 97, J-Lo can't sing like Selena. Most people can't sing like Selena. Right. That's why she's Selena. <laughs> exactly. So and to find someone that, oh, no, but this other woman, Mexican born, uh, Mexican, Texas born. It's like, yeah, but can't but can she act well against Edward James Almost and John Serra and Jackie Guerrera. Mm-hmm. J-Lo did it. There's no denying that she did a good performance. But I, I do understand. Because part of Selena's charm was that she wasn't every woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she wasn't like a supermodel, right? Mm-hmm. Like she, she just looked like a, an ordinary person who had an amazing voice and was, was so charismatic. And she felt like she didn't... A, a thing that I saw a lot of when I was reading about the real Selena was that she didn't act like a superstar, mm-hmm. you know, and she was of darker skin. She wasn't like uh, a fair skinned blonde haired person that you would see on like telenovelas. So I don't know. I feel like I do understand why people are, are frustrated, why people were frustrated that you have like someone that looks like Jennifer Lopez play in every woman, but she, she did a really good job. You, you can't say she did a bad job. I think where that really that criticism comes from is the fact that because the movie was made so soon after her death, you wanted Selena back. You know mm. what I mean? Like, it seems the idea of making this movie bothered a lot of people. Uh, yeah, it, it, it seems like the family didn't want to make it right because it, it's so soon. It happened yeah. so soon afterward that they were everyone's like. You're just you're doing the Hollywood thing. You're cashing in. You're disrespecting the artists and their family and stuff. I and, understand and, that, but I think that the family needed to take some kind of control over the narrative because you have all 100%. those tabloids saying so many weird things. Even her funeral, like there are people yeah. who are saying that's not Selena in the casket. She's still alive somewhere. So they had to do an open casket funeral to show people <sighs> she's really dead. They had Fuck there was like a rumor that like a different. Tejano artist's wife killed Selena and then that family got death threats that's horrible and and again I understand why the family did it they, they have a quote saying that the film would put an end to all false rumors that were circulating through the media at the time and silence the media from telling the wrong story mm-hmm. but I, I do also see people feeling like maybe it's rubbing it's, it's rubbing them the wrong way because it was so soon yeah. afterwards. And the fact that they're making money off of it too. Exactly. And the fact that you cast someone like J-Lo is like further adding salt to the wound. 
Yeah. Uh, where it's just like, look, you're making this film and you're casting someone who's not Tejano, right? Like, this is disrespectful to Selena. And on, this, on, on some level, I can understand that. But now that the film's out and we see her performance and the film's portrayal of Selena, I'm like, I feel like a lot of those criticisms are probably coming from the fact that you're still hurting from what actually happened. With good reason, too. Yes. Because what happened is awful. And did maybe, did Hollywood push this a little too soon? You could argue that, yeah. But something needed to be done. And thankfully, it was done tastefully. Oh, yeah. So tasteful, I, I think, anyway. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah, same, same. Uh, man, they handled her death incredibly well. Kudos to the filmmakers. Because if hypothetically, if I was directing this movie, I'd be like, how the fuck are we going to deal? How are we going to shoot this, this scene? Do you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that they went with a very ambiguous, not ambiguous, but like visually kind of um, that they didn't actually film her death scene. Right. And the yeah. way they the work around with yeah. her not being able to catch the, the flower. You hear the gunshot. This is the best way you could have done it. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's the best of both worlds outside of filming the actual scene where you see Yolanda pull out the gun and shoot Selena and just not showing it and not addressing it at all. Yeah, like because the, the way it actually went down is like horrifying. Yeah, My dude. God. I don't know if we want to talk about that later, but we can talk about it now since we're since we're on I, the subject. Ugh, like in in real life, I she the the day before she said that she was going to present the documents, and she didn't have all of them. And at that point, Chris was there, even though she told Selena to come alone. By the way, I think seventeen days before this, Yolanda had purchased a gun <laughs> legally. She's a legal gun owner. Uh, and then the next day, when Selena came back, she said that she was raped. And then when they went to the doctor, the doctor was like, I don't see any evidence of a rape. And then she admitted, I guess, allegedly she admitted that she had lied about it and that she wanted the ring back that she had given her. And then when Selena gave her the ring, she pulled out the gun and, and Selena tried to run away and cried for help. And she shot her in the back, dude. And then she, I think Yolanda's like screaming at her, like, you bitch or something was what was yeah. said in the article. And then Selena was able to go to like a clerk or somebody and tell identifier shooter and then she dropped the ring there i think it hit an, it hit a vital artery and she bled yeah. out quickly and they said that it was just a trail of blood jesus it's fucking awful dude terrible is it, and it sound i read some of the reports <laughs> okay now i'm getting teary-eyed that's okay dude i i got the the report and they were saying how just detailing how awful it was that happened how much blood she was losing, like the, the pressure that she was feeling on her chest because it impacted her diaphragm. And I'm just like, she, Selena was a champ to mm. be able to, to do what she did, which was run away, identify Yolanda, say what it was. Like she gave the room number, like incredible. Um, unfortunately, she did die. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and then having someone shoot you is like, you bitch. Yeah and that's and it made me angry because in the film yolanda's crying in the car and she's like i did something terrible i mean i'm not sure if that's what yolanda did in real life well in real life she was in the car it was a standoff with the police she had a gun to her head and for nine hours right yeah but i don't know if she was like crying and that she was regretted it because regretted it because she was on the phone with her mom i guess and she's like i killed selena and and i'm like 
watching it, it's like, you're a horrible piece of shit. I hate you. Um, but seeing someone cry like that in that, it just, I don't know. It made me a little, not sympathetic, but it made, it definitely is like, yeah, that is one thing that I, that bothers me about the movie is, is, uh, Yolanda, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, it's, it's like when they introduce her, I'm like, ah, there it is. There she is. And then there's this part in the movie where she's, uh, Selena is getting a, a pedicure, I think, with Yolanda. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like joking around there. And then uh, one of the people that works at the boutique comes over with uh, like a sheet or something. And then Yolanda's like, what is that? And it's like, oh, she's, this is how she's stealing the money. Selena, is that the same thing? Yeah, it's the same thing. Amy, what are you doing today? About 5,000 things. We'll forget them and do 5,001. Come to L.A. with me and Chris today. L.A.? L.A. These girls. Do what? Movie stars, rock stars, for <laughs> drinks. Mm-hmm. You look crazy. Come I can't. On. I gotta do inventory. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I can do the inventory. I know where the lists are. I know everything that needs to be done. You go with Selena. Thanks. Go. Come on. I ain't got nothing to wear. <laughs> then we're just gonna have to go shopping. Duh. It just seems so, like, obvious that, okay, that that's, why is this here? You know, I, it's. For some reason, it, it like frustrates me, like takes me out of the movie. I don't I don't know how to explain. It. I felt the exact same way. Like, it's like we need to set up her death. And it's just it feels like it comes out of nowhere a little bit, because up to that point, Yolanda is not mentioned or anything. She's mentioned very brief, briefly when they're opening up the boutique. Um, yeah. And it, it's almost like the film's like, OK, this this is the killer. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like in a. Yeah in a non-subtle way. It's, yeah, it's, it's very non-subtle. Then there's a, a thing where they're like, oh, we're putting some money together to buy a ring for Selena. And then she's like, I'll take oh, it. I'll take it. I know a guy who get a good price. And I saw a ring the other day that she, I know she's going to love. And then when she gives her the ring, she says, here's the ring that I got you. Yeah. It's like, ugh. I don't know the authenticity of all that, but it definitely rubbed me kind of the wrong way. Granted, it also could just be the fact that I dislike, I hate Yolanda a lot. Yeah, and seeing, yeah. seeing any portrayal of her is like, even if it was amazing, I hate her so much. Yeah. And then reading the fit, reading what happened, I'm like, oh, you're even worse than I thought. In the article that I read, it, it doesn't mention that she, like she didn't say that it was me who bought you the ring. It makes it sound like it was a ring that everybody pitched in for. It's definitely, I mean, it's not a big strike against the film, but it's definitely something that felt a little weird. However, to give them the benefit of the doubt, (laughs) (laughs) because it was so soon afterwards, you're like, how do we portray this? We have to, we have to be very delicate. And I still think they did a good job of presenting the entire murder. Yeah. Um, Could it have been better? Sure. But again, I don't know how. I, exactly. I don't know how. <laughs> if you had come up to me, it's like, how would you have done this, George? If since you're complaining about it, it's like, ah, shit, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm just telling you that the way it is done in this movie bothers me. And because that Selena is like significant to me personally, it's hard for me to even think about it. You know, yeah, it, uh, it's uh, hard uh, for me to articulate. Like I'm trying to articulate every single thing that I can on this podcast. Cause that's what podcasts are. Right. You don't want to hear someone say, I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry to say, I don't know. I don't know how to address this issue in a, in a way that makes sense. Yeah. And here's the thing too, because we have such a personal history with this movie and because we hate Yolanda, 
<laughs> it also could be that maybe the portrayal of her isn't that bad. Like, objectively speaking, it might not be bad. Like, someone who isn't familiar with Selena, has never seen the movie, might be like, oh, no, that's how, you, that's how you'd bring that character in. But because of our close connection with the film, we automatically hear Yolanda and we're like, this bitch, okay. <laughs> no, I, you, 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 you know what I mean? So yeah. that's, that's going back to what I was saying earlier. That's like, it's kind of tough talking about this movie if we're trying to be as objective as possible, because, you know, a criticism that we might have with about it, i.e. Yolanda might not actually be a fault of the film. It's just that we hate her. <laughs> <laughs> it could, it could, cause I know exactly what you're saying. Cause when they were like the, the president of my fan club, Yolanda, I was like, Oh, <sighs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. Instantly. Instantly. I was like, oh, fuck. Her. Mm. And every scene she was in, I was like, oh. and when she was like, I know where we could get a ring. And I was like, shut the fuck up. All right. Like, yeah, God should have strike struck you down with some lightning. Everybody chipped in and we're going to go get her a present, a ring from all of us. Would you like to chip in too, Yolanda? That's great. I was just thinking we should do something like that. Yes, I think I know this place where Listen, we can get her something. I know the perfect ring that she would love. Any men's fashion, Selena? Um, no, I think you better stick to women's for a while. I don't know how they'd look in my bustier. <laughs> Here, give me the money and I'll go shopping in the next few days and it'll be ready by the time she comes back from Nashville. Oh, that's wonderful, Yolanda. Thank you. Don't worry about anything. I'm sure she's going to love it. Chris, how's Mary life treating you? It's good. You better say that. I, I didn't like Yolanda in the film. You needed her in it? Yes. Yeah, you, you had to address it, especially so soon after her death. Would I have done a better job? Shoot, probably not. And I don't know how to fix it. But it bothers me. Yeah. It, you know, it's a lot of emotions are surrounded this film by the fans, by the family, and by us. So, you know, it's it's an emotional ass movie. So it's okay that we can't articulate everything. We just don't like Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> I was the actress did a good job though. Cause I I, yeah, I think so. I think I, she I, like I would I would man, I have never seen that actress ever again. I'll tell you that. I think I've seen her in a few things. Um, but I can't remember. But I'll say this. I hate Yolanda. And I <laughs> I I think she should have been killed before this. In order to say Selena, that's a bold thing to say, but I, you know, I feel that. But I did feel a little bit of sympathy when she was in the car crying, just a little bit, you know. Just maybe it's just seeing someone like, <laughs> you know, like I killed Selena. I hated her, but I, I still felt a little because 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 that's when it's hitting her that she did this really awful and heinous thing. She shot. Someone in cold blood who did not deserve it at all. Yeah. I mean, w w since we're talking about complaints, there are certain things that I do feel have not aged well. Mm -hmm. Not not aged well, but that they've been worn out. Because the, mu the film industry's obsession with music biopics is very much like, okay, there is a formula, right? Yes, there's like the humble beginnings. There's the, the romance. Oh, even, even before the then. The movie oh. starts off with the concert at uh, in Texas in the strata in the, the Astrodome, the Astrodome, yeah, in Houston. Every fucking biopic starts with this, where you have the <laughs> you have the lead actor or actress at the height of their power, and they're in the back and they're thinking about something. Why does that bother you so much? 
because it's it's done time and time again. But it's isn't like that now, isn't that the way Speed Racer starts? Did it bother you then? No, 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 no. It didn't bother me then. But number one, Speed Racer does it. It builds excitement because it's showing you this super awesome racing. It's giving you background on speed. And it's also an and it's also that's like a masterclass in that scene, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's also <laughs> secretly and, and it's also secretly an exposition scene because you're catching up on the entire family thing. It's not that my problem is that the, the music genre does this where it, it begins at the end with the musicians, singers, high to their power. And it's like they're thinking about their entire life. And then you have to go back to the very beginning and the movie plays out straightforward until we get to the ending, which is where the movie began. And it's like, you could have just started, if that's how you wanted to portray it, you could have just started at the humble beginnings. But it's like, Ray does this, Walk the Line, Selena does uh-huh. this, Bohemian Rhapsody does this. What's the fucking, um, the uh, Chadwick Boseman one? Get, get on up. He's playing James Brown. Oh, okay. Get on up. Same thing. It's funny because it wasn't until I watched Dewey Cox where I realized it, where you have one of the characters, like Dewey Cox is in backstage before, behind a big concert. <laughs> and one of the guys is like, Dewey Cox has to think about his entire life before he goes on stage. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just, funny. And, and it's funny because looking back, I'm like, oh, my God. Yes. Every fucking time. Yeah. And now watching it in Selena, I'm like, oh. and I'll say this. Speed Racer does it very differently because it's an exposition up to set up the family. It's an exciting race that we get to see the completion of. And we've realized how much Rex means to Speed and how Speed wants to it immortalize yeah. his brother. We also learn a little bit more about Speed and kind of the problems that Rex is having Ugh. with the racing corporations. Also There's so much that's packed in there. My God. If, if, if Selena had that in the first five <laughs> minutes, like Speed Racer... I wouldn't be complaining about this. That's true. Okay. I, I, I see what you mean. But the fact... Now, I will say this. They actually play you a little bit of Selena singing, which is nice. I, I, I'm I not saying it's yeah. not nice. But it's one of those things where it's not the film's fault because, again, this was in 97. All the yeah, films I mentioned... this was before all this. Exactly. Now, I can't say whether the film's... The biopics before Selena did this. I haven't seen too many of them. But all the biopics after Selena have done this. And now it, it, it irritates me. <laughs> it's like the superhero thing. Where at the, final, the final act is now the, the, the blue beam that goes up into the air. <laughs> I, maybe you have a good reason justified for it. But I'm sick and tired of the goddamn blue beam. <laughs> Th- that's one of the things. No, but again, though, it doesn't hurt the film. Right. It's, it's just something beginning. that like it because you've seen it so many times going back to to where maybe one of the earlier iterations of that it now bothers you. Yes. The thing that bothered me was also in the beginning of the movie or one of the things that bothered me was, was also in the beginning. It was the fact that we didn't hear Sel- Selena's songs. I'm like, what the hell? Why is she mm. why is she singing these songs? <laughs> Even though that's what she actually did. Right. Donna Summer. The, yeah. I'm like, I don't. I don't care about these songs. <laughs> yeah, I actually forgot. I was like, wait a second. I didn't know she was singing. So there is something kind of off about that. Yeah, I wanted like I want those credits to start with like Amor Prohibido or uh, Como La Flor, something. Or even the if you wanted to go with the English song, uh, you could have start with uh, I Could Love You. I Could Fall in Love. Yes, yeah, that, that think, one. Oh, that's such a good song. I mean, look, Selena's performance of Donna Summer and, and all the other musicians, the songs that she was covering, were, was beautiful. I'm not complaining. I'm, right. You're right. I'm, we're not complaining about the song or the, the singing. We're complaining about the song choice. And like, why start here? What was, 
you know now maybe the astrodome venue and event it was like her one of her last like big performances which yeah but you know if i'm talking about a story structure story economy Mm -hmm. not much was gained from that scene you get a little bit of an intro from the family but you could have just incorporated that when she was young if you want for sure um and 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 it's those little things like those tropey things that ultimately that might have not been tropes when this movie aired i'll say i will say that they might have been they might not have been but the same tropes that have been used by hollywood time and time again have become shortcuts and rewatching this movie i'm like i'm kind of sick of these shortcuts <laughs> and it doesn't hurt the overall film i still loved watching it yeah it's just like all right just takes a second to get started exactly some of the other things the tropey things that i i that kind of you know stood out was when they're writing Como La Flor on the bus <laughs> with A, B, the backup singers and stuff. Uh, this is a yeah. trope that happens all the time. They're like thinking about how do we write this song? Well, love should be like forever, like a flower. But like one of the ones at the concerts are all plastic. So love should be plastic? <laughs> I don't get the reasoning. And something that, this, that I dislike is that, look, songwriting is very difficult. Okay? Songwriting is really difficult. You don't write a song like that. It takes iteration. It, you're like, you're writing it down. Oh, this doesn't work. I have to go back. And there's no, there's really no movies that are, that are by musician about musicians where it's like, oh man, this version of the song isn't working. I have to go back and retool it. No. in all these movies, it's the same thing. All it's these like, biopics are, they do that thing. Like remember in the social network when um, he's trying to think of something to add to Facebook and then he overhears somebody say, yeah, I wish someone had like their relationship status, just yeah, wearing a name tag saying if they're and it's, single. There's or not. no iteration. There's no like, <laughs> oh, there's a process. These, you know, it's just like, oh, that's it. And uh, and they do it in uh, they do it in Bohemian Rhapsody where they have the dun 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 dun. It's like really the first time you got it down, <laughs> and that's how you wrote this iconic song that is going to be listened to by millions and millions of people, billions of people into the future, and you just came up with it like. Yeah. Get no. No. I, I don't know. It it's kind of funny to me. I don't know if it like bothers me as much as I think it's I get entertainment value from it because it's a funny way to see it. Like, oh, that's how they got the idea. Just <laughs> yeah, randomly. It was, it was funny because <laughs> so, I don't know. <laughs> what's the woman that sing who's the woman that sings our uh respect? Uh Aretha Franklin. Yeah, they had a biopic about her where Jennifer Hudson is playing aretha franklin and she's like there's like in the trailer where she's like how me r-e-s-p-c-t and someone's like yeah yeah keep it going and i'm just like this song must have you didn't write the song just like this like none of these songs were written just like (laughs) that you're talking about some of the greatest songs of all time you know what though uh there's this podcast that i listen to called punch up the jams and a lot of those like great classics are written in like 30 minutes really yeah. <laughs> okay. I might have to eat my own words then. <laughs> Cause personally, I fail to believe that respect or um We will rock you. Yeah, like I fail to believe I fail to to believe that these songs were written in 30 minutes. Now I might be wrong, I'm not fact checking it, but to me it almost seems like the process of writing music is gleamed over in one scene and like that. 
movies rarely ever show the process of what it's like to write a song and kind of the iterative process of it. Mm-hmm. To be fair, there's not a lot of, of those kinds of scenes because she didn't write the music, right? She she just sang. No, no fair, in, fair enough. And, and I, and that might be the only scene where you see them like trying to make up a song. <laughs> and it's like, it's like there's two things going on there too. Well, she she's hitting on Chris, right? Yeah, and and Suzette comes in the sister. She says, "Hey, this cabinet, my food only. These <laughs> chips, mine." He puts them in there, and Selena goes in and takes the chips immediately. <laughs> yeah, so it's again not a bad scene, but it's one of, it's it's one of those tropes that just keeps coming up. And I'm like, oh god damn it! Another thing that I think ultimately kind of hurts the film a little bit is the fact that this movie doesn't really have many conflicts happening there is one reoccurring conflict that i do appreciate but it's almost like oh there's a problem it's quickly solved in one scene and we never talk about it again um and this movie isn't that bad about it there are some films that are worse where it's like how are we gonna get to the gig and it's like oh there's a mysterious jet that just came out of nowhere and the person in it is gonna give us a ride. It's you know this movie doesn't really have that big issue, but it definitely still has it. Where it's like, how are I'm not gonna pay you because Selena's a woman, and in the next scene, like there are no re- real repercussions. They lose a restaurant. The Abraham lost or he quit his job to run the restaurant to be there with his family, and they lose it because of Reaganomics, according to the film. And that is gleamed over. We don't explore what happened, how it affected the family, affected Selena. It's just like, nope. There's also the fact that Marcella or um, Abraham made a promise to Marcella, the mom. I'm not going to quit my job. I'm not going to get back into music. This is just a family thing. But then it quickly becomes, he quickly like quits his job. It's more than just a family thing. It's their career. It's, it's how they, they get by for the next several years. Mm-hmm. And there's not really like a resolution to that. Yeah. A conflict. I sometimes I feel like it things were neatly put together because it's a movie, which it's always gonna happen. But some of the criticisms that I saw for this film saying that it's kind of a shallow reading of Selena, the person. And on some level, I could kind of understand that. Just a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it it covers a huge span of time. It covers almost ten years. Or actually, if you can consider Abraham's time, it covers a lot because it also go, yes. goes into Abraham. So I think for for a movie, movies in general, like there's going to be stuff that that happens that might not be resolved neatly. But I think there's one central conflict that keeps on coming up, and it's her her heritage and how she fits in America. Oh, it's right? interesting you say that. that. That happens throughout the movie. It happened in real life. Too. Mm-hmm. you know like a lot of like the thing with the in the mall happened in real life it didn't oh, happen yeah. in la but it happened in, in texas mm-hmm. uh there's a scene in the movie right before she goes to the grammys right the grammys nationally televised event and she's up for for one of the nominations so she's famous she goes to the mall with her friend and they're looking at dresses and then there's this woman there who's kind of following them around and you like this this is yeah, nice pretty i like the color Excuse me, miss. Can we try this on? Well, I don't think you'd be interested in that one. Why? Well, because that dress is $800. You know what? Could you just take it off the mannequin? We'd like to try it on. And then the woman gives like a little, you know, like, 
They can't afford this dress. They're Mexican. That's what she's thinking. She doesn't say it, but you can tell that's what she's thinking. And then you have all the people come in who recognize Selena and ask for her autographs. And then the woman's like, oh my God, she's famous. And then they end up not taking the dress anyway. That happens towards the end of the movie. The fact that they are Mexican-American is is a thing that comes up throughout the movie. They do have conflicts that are kind of resolved like off screen that maybe we don't get that like resolution that you'd that you'd want in a in watching a movie or that has a lot of depth or something but it does have that one thing that keeps on coming up which i do appreciate and and that's why i still think it's a good movie it's not like the entirety of the film is lacking any conflict in fact i think it might have a second conflict that i thought was the main driving force behind it was between selena and her father Mm -hmm. abraham because Selena and Abraham kind of come to clashes multiple times in the films when she's wearing yes. the bustier, when she's thinking about like the career, um, her relationship with Chris. There's moments where they're shouting at each other. Yeah, it gets heated. And I, I think that it does a, like Abraham isn't a villain, Mm-mm. right? It, it portrays him as human. And we kind of we see his backstory. So we know where he's coming from, like when he's ranting about how hard it is for Mexican-Americans. It's because mm-hmm. we saw how hard it was for him when he goes to a restaurant to play some doo-wop music. They, they're rejected because they're Mexican. When they go play uh, doo-wop music for Mexicans, they're rejected because they're not singing Mexican songs. Like, so he, he has that in him uh, for when he's raising his kids, for when he wants Selena to, to be successful, but he knows that she has to sing Mexican songs because white audiences or white audiences won't, accept her singing white music so she has to sing spanish songs well so that she can play to a crowd that's more receptive of her abraham in a lot of ways is almost kind of like one of the main characters almost close to selena because he's the one that goes through a lot of transformations because you know he wants to be a singer and he's good him and his brothers are good doesn't work out right and he leaves his job he lies to his wife I mean, maybe not intentionally, but he does lie to her. He breaks his pro- he breaks his promise to her by quitting this job, and then they lose a restaurant. So there's a conflict there. Uh, his kids don't want to learn music, but he forces them. He wants to play old classic American music, but I mean, it's not working for Mexicans. So then they kind of have to force him to switch styles of music. And AB's like, "Look, I can make something that's going to be more receptive to to this crowd," but he's against it. And she wants to kind of embrace her sexuality a little bit more by wearing a bra and bustier. He dislikes that. She wants to date Chris. He doesn't like that. Um, she wants to travel to Mexico. He's hesitant on that. So Abraham's a very well fleshed out character. And I think he's mm-hmm. one of the biggest, not conflicts, but a character that definitely adds some friction to her journey. Yeah. Rightly so, though. You get where he's coming from. You're not, like, mm-hmm. against him. And he's like, I know people like Chris, and I've I've seen them. And I know that they're no good. And you see Chris and kind of what his friends do to that hotel room, and it's like... There's a scene where he Chris is with his friends, and they, like, trash a hotel room. Like, Motley Crue style. <laughs> Abraham's the one that has to be responsible for that. Financially. Yeah. And the guy's like, is this what you people do wherever you go? And because he knows that part of that judgment is coming from the fact that he's Mexican, right? Mm -hmm. Even though he was born in Texas, he's he's still 
Mexican to, to well, these he's, people. He says it perfectly. Not white enough for white people and not Mexican enough for Mexicans. He's like, it is hard being Mexican-American. <laughs> I'm like, ah, yeah, you know what? I can totally relate to that, man. hundred percent. And that was one of the things where I was like, yeah, I get that. Be- being light, light, being light skinned myself. I'm like a lot of Mexicans don't think that I'm Hispanic, but and when they hear you're Spanish, they, they judge you, right? Oh yeah. Because it's like, it's not, it's not good. The funny thing is I used to speak Spanish fluently. Now I'm a little less cause I, I don't speak it every day and I do have an accent. So not, so not white enough for white people. Cause when white people hear me, they're like, oh, he's some ethnicity. Like he's not white. He's something. Granted, they, mm-hmm. they can't pinpoint me down, uh, but not Mexican enough for Mexicans. Right. So it's just like that weird gray area where it's like, where the, f- what the fuck am I? And it's like, well, yeah. you know, you're you and that's it. So I, I could relate to that scene very much. Mm-hmm. What the way he's like guarded is because like we saw that scene, you know, and yeah. it, like, I, I feel like it's a, he's a great character. Oh, Abraham is amazing. He and Edward James almost plays him to perfection. Um, he's he's an incredible actor, and he really sold the dad who's trying to protect his daughter. He he is overprotective at times, but he does listen to her, and he does uh, grow to let go a little bit. Oh yeah, he he totally he, and that's why I'm saying he's got a really great character arc. Yeah. Um, ah man, yeah, it was. It was, it was Edward James Olmos is incredible. Um, and that's why I can understand them wanting to make a TV show, you know, to really get into all the nitty gritties that the family went through because it's a tough life. They went through a tough life performing for mm-hmm. years at crowds that were super unreceptive. They had to find their own voice. They had to, it took a lot of workshopping, a lot of work and a lot of dedication. So I could see why they made a TV show out of it. Yeah. There's more, definitely more to the story. Like maybe oh, yeah. a more satisfying resolution to those conflicts that that were mentioned earlier. Which is why I which is why I won't hold it against this film. You know, it's something that, yes, is a mark that takes a mark, a point off of it, but it doesn't destroy the film. It's not that we're right. saying that there isn't conflict. If anything, you and I have different different viewpoints as to what the main conflict is. Um so it's like, all right, there is conflict. There is friction. And it is executed pretty well i think yeah 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 granted and even then it's like is it totally fair to judge this movie to judge this movie against uh get on up bohemian rhapsody ray walk the line is it fair probably not because those movies are working off a foundation that selena established um or helped established so yeah maybe maybe it's not unfair to assume that this might have helped create the mold, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, this was this was definitely part of shaping it. Yeah. There's one one thing that you didn't mention that made me laugh, but I wasn't really supposed to laugh is when uh, Chris and Selena have that fight uh, <laughs> uh, after he trashes the hotel room. I want it to work, OK, but it just but what? You know what your problem is? You can't even accept something great even when it's staring you in the face. I may not be streetwise and all that, but at least I know not to be that dumb. Then she like walks away and you hear this like super, super cheesy like guitar riff. 
Oh, oh my that? god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's okay. That's another thing that is not aged well. The uh, music. I, it's like the, the music in like Selena's music is great. Yes. That's but not there, what we're complaining about. Yeah. Some of like the score stuff is like this. This feels like what you would hear on like Beverly Hills 90210 right before Oh my God. I was thinking break. Miami Vice. Miami Vice? Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so cheesy. And I was like, the music alone tells you that this is a movie from the 90s. It might have even aged the movie. I was like, potentially from the 80s. It's so <sighs> corny as fuck. It's very, very early 90s. Um, I yeah. mean, it, it kind of works, but it's also really cheesy. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> it's slightly distracting if you know what that sounds like then you'll notice yeah. it but if you don't if you're not even really thinking about it then it's just like well whatever it's just one of those things that like dates the movie you know it's like it, oh yeah this is an old movie this is 25 25 years old what's well, funny because this reminds me of cool runnings wow this episode reminds me a lot of cool runnings <laughs> because mm-hmm. of, because the music in cool runnings is not that great either it's a bunch of steel drums and it's like okay can we get something else <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of the and they actually have some orchestra some orchestral stuff you know during some other parts but i'm just like okay the music is not helping and this is an instance where you know and this is a movie about music you yeah. at least want your original score to be you know a little bit better I, I, outside of that i don't know what else hasn't aged well they've talked about the story elements mm-hmm um talked about the music i think a lot of the comedy has aged well yeah um, i think the the chemistry between uh jennifer lopez and john seda was was pretty good yeah. you know like it like the way he plays yes yeah. prez is like so realistic i think so authentic i don't think that you would see that in a movie today well, what's funny is you can confuse John's acting as bad. Yeah. Some people would say, oh, he's acting bad. Why is it? Because he's just acting weird. And and that's where I think this, that because we've had such a personal like relationship with the film, I was like, no, I know people exactly like that from <laughs> high school who say the, sa- the same things like that, who kind of does the head thing. He does like a little head thing where he like kids, where he kids yeah. around. But because the thing is, John Chris isn't like... As he comes across in the film, he's not a serious guy, but he says yeah. silly things in like a deadpan manner almost, if yeah. that makes sense. Like he he has like a goofy I don't know what it is. It's just it's hard to describe. It's like he's silly and goofy, mm-hmm. but he's not like committed to the bit as much as Jim Carrey is. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like when Jim you have Carrey Jim- will as much as I love watching Jim Carrey stuff. This, he could never do this. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's almost like, you know what John is? John is playing it like a loner who is trying to be funny a little bit. Yeah. And it, it works really well. It's like a very specific personality that I have seen all throughout my life. But never in a movie. Very rarely ever in a movie. I know actual people from high school who played guitar who are exactly like Chris, who had the <laughs> long hair, did the same thing, spoke the same way in the same manner, and were super silly. It works. So tell me, how did you get to be such a great guitarist? 
Because let me tell you, we have never, ever had a guitarist like you in the group before. Did you start when you were really young? <laughs> Serious, you know you're bad. <laughs> no, I was, I was in junior high school. It was the rebel thing. You know, my parents, they wanted me to, like, get real educated and become a doctor or something. <laughs> so naturally, I wanted to be a rock and roller. <laughs> Dude, you like to practice? Yep. My father would have loved having you in the family. He used to have to force us to practice. We never wanted to. I don't know. I mean, if I'd have been in your family, then I'd have been a doctor. <laughs> so when yeah. they're like doing the cutesy stuff together, like I believe that, you know, yeah. I think that it works very well. Mm -hmm. uh, their, their scenes together are, are great. Uh, I believe it when they're falling in love. The, the goofy, like the bus shifts a little bit as they're dancing and then they like fall into each other. That's so freaking like anime shit. It's, it's corny, <laughs> but it works. But I'm it, fine. It works. Uh, it works. It, no, it, it totally works. The corniness in those scenes actually feel like they're genuine, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and I, like a, a lot of times in movies, you want to like get like the theme and like what is the movie trying to say and stuff. I I don't think that this movie really has that necessarily. I feel like you're seeing somebody um, achieve the the elusive American dream, you know, and they're doing it with their family and. It's just cut short. It's yeah. there's no really like explanation for it. It's just like this is it's just a tragedy, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that's you see all these of... like cute, innocent moments and it's it it's contrasted by the, the really dark and sad ending. These movies are concerned about immortalizing these people, these musicians, these very talented people um, that that protecting that legacy. Now, I do think that. Ultimately, these movies need to be treated as anything as 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 movies, right? Mm -hmm. That you need to kind of get a message out of out of it. That you kind of need to see a purpose and stuff. And sometimes I think these movies play it so safe that it's like the, it's the repetitiveness. It's like mm -hmm. these people's lives were incredible because they they were able to succeed with all these obstacles were presented in their way, and yet they worked hard and stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, yes, I like Freddie Mercury, and yes, I. I like Ray Charles and uh, James Brown, Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash. And I like what's the other Elton John, right? Um, like, I like all these people, but sometimes it's a little too, too straightforward. And I think what works in this film is what kind of hinders future films, right? Because mm -hmm. this movie feels like it's a nice, very casual watch that you could watch. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, And the thing is, too, it still kind of has that central message. It has that central message message about family kind of the struggles that can happen within it and also as a mexican identity piece yeah right um but ultimately like you're like you're right it doesn't have that one idea that the filmmaker is trying to convey it he is trying to immortalize selena and that's the same goal that a lot of these other directors had immortalizing elton john freddie mercury james brown and after a while it's like okay it gets a little repetitive it feels nice when a filmmaker kind of at points, it feels corporate. Y yeah, it feels corporate. Yeah, I don't think that this one does. It, yes. It, it feels okay. like there's, it was made with a lot of heart and Yes, and passion. that's the difference. Yes, I, I love that 100%. Selena was, feels like it was made with love and passion. And a lot of these other films feel like they were corporate decisions. Like, 
especially like Bohemian Rhapsody. Absolutely Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, exactly. And that's the difference. This movie doesn't feel corporate. It feels like it was made by people who who love Selena and love what she stood for. And it, she's an incredible human being who was tragically taken from us. And it's like, well, you know what? I think you did a good job of portraying her. One thing that has aged well that I wanted to shout out about this film is the costumes. Oh, yeah. The costumes are incredible in this movie. They are, they were designed by Elisabetta Beraldo. Mm-hmm. And she's worked on various stuff, but she, I think this is one of her standout works. I think this is the work that really is going to immortalize her. Because she recreated all of Selena's designs. Oh, yeah. You when know, you see uh, the end where you see the actual Selena, like she's wearing outfits from the movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. They didn't just give J-Lo the outfits that Selena wore and she wore them. It's like, oh, just we need some adjustments. No, they had to recreate those dresses and outfits from scratch. Mm-hmm. And she did an incredible job. And the hair and makeup, too, the way they styled J-Lo. It's incredible. It's beautiful. So much work went into it. And you you compare the the, the in-concert footage to, like, what... The, the in-concert footage from the film to real life. And it's like, oh, my God. They got the choreography down. The hair so and makeup good. is exquisite. The, the dress is accurate to the time and to what Selena was doing. <gasps> it's it's beautiful, beautiful design incredible the way she got the bustier the the fa- the famous red dress the one that she wore at the astrodome mm-hmm. iconic selena's fashion is incredible because you could mm-hmm. like you could have that bustier it's like oh i think selena wore that and it's like that that is selena probably did that, re- <laughs> that iconic red dress all of her outfits were incredible oh, yeah. in real life and uh elisabetta recreated them and they are incredible Hundred percent. This is just beautiful piece so of good. art. Yeah, and I mean it. It kind of also highlighted to me how Selena was. What's what's the phrase when you have like a like someone who is breaking down barriers and like re- paving the road or a trailblazer? Trailblazer. Uh, an icon. I, like those aren't those aren't hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. It's it's not percent accurate. Selena is not just a musician. She, I mean, granted, her music career was what a lot of people loved, but her her costumes were. Yeah. She was a designer. She opened up Selena's boutique, and it really she got remind- to do everything that she wanted to do, like things that we dream about. Like she got to do them when there were obstacles in her way. There were so many women, and it's funny because a lot of women have gone on to do that. One of the most prominent being Rihanna. Rihanna mm-hmm. had, you know, was a singer first. And then she has Fenty, which is like a hair, makeup, you know, she has all these other businesses. And now Rihanna's a billionaire. And I can't help but think like, fuck, what would have happened if Selena hadn't been murdered? Oh, yeah, you she'd know? be up there. She'd be, she, she would have been making TikToks during the pandemic, reconnecting with people. <laughs> I could, I could see Selena, just her fashion just being bigger than what she was. And I, I mean, I tried to, to research who, what other singers had their own fashion line. And I, I tried, I tried for an hour. I tried to see who was the first one and I couldn't find one before Selena, but I couldn't find anyone that said she was the first musician to make her own fashion brand. No, she was, she may have not been the first one, but she, but she was 
but she she did it successfully at first. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say because we just won't know. I mean, look at her fashion. It stood the test of time and she designed all of it, if not most of it. That cow outfit, <laughs> she designed it. She was she was in telenovelas. She was in a telenovela with Eric Estrada. You know, the guy from Chips. Yep. <laughs> That's uh, wild. Yeah. This woman had so much going for her. She was in a movie with Marlon Brando. Did you know that? I, it's a, wait, Selena? Selena. Oh, no, I didn't. Uh, Don Juan de Marco, starring Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando. And she's she's like a singer in a restaurant, so it's like a cameo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But she's she's in the shot. She's like five feet away from Marlon Brando. And that's the thing, like a lot of a lot of people do that, like they'll have their one career and they'll expand and some people do it very successfully. I you Rihanna and I, I can't help but just wonder like, damn, what, what could have come from Selena? It's a shame because we'll never, ever get to see that. Part of why her death was so tragic was because she represented that like, hey, you can do these things. You broke the down on music scene wide open. No woman's ever been able to make it. Now you're number one. You walk into Mexico and they don't even accept Mexican-Americans and they love you. And now... And now... Gringos! (laughs) Disney World! You remember? Yeah. All those barriers that people have been trying to get past. You went right through them as if they didn't exist. Maybe for you they don't exist. I love you. And she never got to that like uh like super elitist, I guess I think mm-hmm. is is the word. Or mm-hmm. When Jimmy Fallon and Paris Hilton were talking about NFTs on the on their talk show, like Gwyneth Paltrow is a great example because it, when she talks, it doesn't sound like she she knows what it's like to be a regular person. You know what I mean? And Selena never got to that point. The opposite. She kept true. And granted, she was very young, and she very really young. started seeing a lot of success um, towards t- towards the end of her life. That's where she was really blowing up. She won the Grammy. Um, she had all these deals. She had this English crossover, which was going to be huge, which it was. But, you know, it. she definitely did not reach the, reach the peak of her career. Um, yeah. And, and she was relatable. So relatable. She was relatable to a lot of a lot of people. And it's just, you know, you, you can't help but think what could have been. Yeah. <sighs> There's two things that I, I kind of wanted to mention. One is, is kind of fucked up. Uh, did you hear about what Howard Stern said when she died? Oh my God! Did you did you hear that? We got to talk about this because it makes me really fucking hate Howard Stern. It and makes I, me hate him too. I I had no opinions about him, but this is awful. I'm not trying to cancel Howard Stern or anything, but he said some really fucked up stuff when she died. Yeah. First of all, he didn't know who she was, <laughs> and then when he had Robin read the story of of her, he was like making fun of her music saying that Mexicans have the worst taste in music. And then he started doing like a really bad Mexican accent for like five minutes. 
seeing a lot of racist stuff. Anyway. Spanish people have the worst taste of music. <laughs> they really do. They don't like depth. <laughs> no, they don't like any depth. It's all like, you know, <laughs> That's because they're all so sad. We have nothing. Our government is corrupt. <laughs> Let's dance to happy music. <laughs> Water and and big chubby girls and thongs. <laughs> you know. Water is dirty. The water is dirty. Our money means nothing on the open markets in Europe. The government is corrupt. <laughs> uh, got a lot of people upset. A lot of people are protesting Howard Stern. He started playing gunshots over her music. That fucking sent me over the window. She wasn't even in the ground, dude. You, look, you don't even have to like Selena. I'm not saying you do. You don't have to like anything you don't like, right? It doesn't make you racist for not liking Selena. But it makes you a real fucking piece of shit when you do that. When you play gunshots over her music. What? what in what fucking world is that even okay like oh, oh i don't know who selena is i i think her music's trash that's kind of a shitty thing to say after someone dies but again not the worst it's a shitty but it's not the worst thing but oh you know what i have to really let my listener know that i don't give a shit about her so i'm gonna play gunshots over her music even though i know that she was good she was killed by a gunshot really really fucking low of you dude yeah really really bad and I think a lot of his fans were like, well, he didn't say anything bad. He just said he didn't like our music. There's nothing wrong with that. Protest Stern fans remain loyal. You don't feel that uh, some things that Howard says are, are inflammatory? Oh, absolutely inflammatory. That's why he's so popular. Unfortunately, it gets uh, some people really going. All Howard really said was he didn't like the music. He really didn't said nothing against Selena. He said he just didn't like the music. So, you know, if they get upset about that, well, it's what he said. But that's what he said. You're lying. No, no, yes, I heard him. That's not what he said. He was talking very bad about Mexicans. He did a lot worse than that. And it was racist, the stuff that he said afterwards. When you add all of it together, because look, if he had done the Mexican accent as like a, a not even a joke about Selena, you could argue oh, it was the times or I'll oh, give him the benefit of the doubt or whatever. But in conjunction with that and the gunshots during her song and doing the accent and saying that she's shitty and that Mexicans have bad taste. What the fuck am I supposed to do with all that info? At that point, I'm giving you more than the benefit of the doubt. You are making it very fucking clear where you stand. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. And and that's what bugs me, too. And the fact that I don't he doesn't he doesn't have to formally apologize now. Like it's, it's been 25 years. He's apologized for other stuff. But I feel like you just kind of some people just kind of say stuff until people react to it. Then they're like, oh, I guess I shouldn't say that, which I guess is how you grow as a person. But yes, I, yes, 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 hundred percent. Uh, that happens all the time. It just shows you the kind of environment that she had to work in. You know, that Latinos had to, to exist in to be successful. Like with every one of your screaming fans or someone out there who doesn't know who you are and thinks you suck because you're Mexican. Very much so. And it, it really and look, I don't know how he feels about it. Maybe he's apologized. Maybe there's a video where he's like, oh, I, you know what? Maybe I should have done that. And look, that's how people learn and they grow. And I'm not going to instantly cancel someone who does that, who makes a mistake. Right. It's not. Look, we've done we've all done something shitty. It's okay. It's a part of growing up. And but it makes me really fucking dislike Howard Stern. And it's my <laughs> fucking right to. 
Oh, yeah. he did it so long ago. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. And I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to cancel him. I'm not trying to cancel him, but it, but next time I see a clip about him, I'm going to instantly go to that thought. Yeah. Like when he's complaining about Will Smith and, and Chris Rock is like, ah, what you did was worse, dude. <laughs> shut the fuck. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. You know what? And the reality is you're overacting, you're overreacting about it when most people are kind of like whatever about it. Oh, he was talking about the Johnny Depp and Ender Hurt thing. Oh, Johnny Depp's, oh, he's this and that. It's like, you're being a baby. It's like, stop it. Oh, but playing gunshots over her music is totally, that's fine. Oh, we could totally do that. You're being an edgy piece of shit. And honestly, I don't mind edgy pieces of shit sometimes. But so soon? She wasn't even in the ground. Her funeral was that day. Look, out of the two of us, out of both you and me, I tend to be the one that will forgive edgier jokes and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> Very much so. So if anyone was going to give ben- Howard Stern the benefit of the doubt, it would have been me. But you take that and you add all those things that he said about Mexicans and Selena, and you add it to all the other shitty things that he has done to like Carmen Electra. Oh, Britney Spears. Britney Spears. And it's like, yeah, I really can't say anything you do. I, I could take seriously anymore. Shut the fuck up. It, I just, I, I, just, I don't know. I, I now I, um, you know, I, just, I, I, look, I rarely, I barely gave a shit about Howard Stern before this. Um, I give a little. I, I think you, you are on the the disliking him fence now. Yeah, and and look, if he re- regrets it, hey, okay, cool, fucking, it's weirded out that it's weird that it took you twenty five years, but hey, I. Happy to join us. Hey, are you inviting him on the podcast to apologize to Selena? Uh, you swear. Like he would even bother. He probably, yeah. if he hears this, he'd probably make fun of us. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, oh, look fine. at these two Mexicans. They clearly have no taste in movies. <laughs> Not even wow. Mexican. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't care. But on the flip side, on the flip side. So like you have people like him who are very famous. No idea who she is. Doesn't care that she's dead. Uses it as an opportunity to make his audience laugh. There's People Magazine, right? When she died, they ran a piece on her and it sold out. First time in People Magazine history that they had a magazine completely sell out. Because clearly Mexican music, Mexicans don't make good music. Clearly. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's did so well that they started to do a People Magazine in Espanol. Like they invented a whole new line or, of magazine specifically for the Latin demographic. Isn't that crazy? I like hearing it, man. I'm a, 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 you know, after that Howard Stern thing, it's like, you know what? Fuck you. Man, that Howard Stern thing really pissed me off. I just, it did. Oh. And I, I had to listen to it just to like, cause you I saw to- the, the video of the protests. Right. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, what if it wasn't as bad? Yeah, uh-huh. no, exactly. It, it always is as bad. The the way that the news organizations covered that story did him a favor, dude, because it gets worse. I don't think I listened to the whole thing. I got to like nine out of the 10 minutes that I found. And I was like, I think I'm done here. And again, look, man, I ain't trying to say that you can't ask for forgiveness and move on or maybe not even ask. But it's just like. You're a grown fucking man. Yeah, it, it shows you the the environment that that she created her music in yeah, kind of a glimpse of what the world was like, you know, like why her music 
was so significant. Mm-hmm. Why her breaking through was so significant. Because yeah. there's still people who are like this. Yeah. You know, it's 25 years ago. People still say the same kind of stuff. The same kind of stuff. It bothers me when people, when white people say that racism is over. Or act oh, like yeah. it's over. Ask you to prove it. I'm like, shh. <laughs> that's such a that's such a dumb thing to say uh so real real quick i'm gonna go over some of the things that i found were real that actually happened so as i mentioned mm-hmm. before there's a scene where she goes into the mall and the a woman is following her around that did happen just not right before the grammys the thing with the stage collapsing where she has to calm the crowd down that actually happened but it did not happen in mexico it happened in dallas texas there's actually video of it. Um, it happened in 94, November 26th. And you can see her in the middle of Baya, Baya Cumbia, And you see her stop and try to calm everybody down. And I'm like, hmm. If only Travis Scott would have learned from Selena. Ooh. <laughs> the thing about him, uh, Chris trashing the hotel room actually happened. But it happened after they were married. But I think in the movie, it works better this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I can see why they made the switch. Yeah, and I can see, like, it kind of bothers me that, like, you show Mexico being, like, the place where the crazy concert happens. But I think the way that she calms the crowd down in the movie is more, like, it's a better movie moment than what mm-hmm. actually happened. Because what actually happened was she said, hey, everybody calm down, calm down, please calm down. We're just trying to have a good time here. And then they're still going crazy. A fight breaks out and the police have to come on stage and like tell everybody to move back and everything. And then the concert resumes according to what's it called set list FM. Cause it, the band started, everything goes crazy with by a cumbia. And then I see more, one more song afterwards. So I guess they did one more song afterwards and got out of there. I heard that the, the car breaking down anything for the Selena, anything for Selena's actually happened. There's actually a fan website called Anything for Selena's where I, <laughs> you can get a lot of Selena facts. With the, the plural, the anythingforselena's.com. Anything for Selena. The, the part where she goes around and hugs everybody in Mexico actually mm-hmm. happened. Oh, where she's kissing everyone? Where she hugs everybody, yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually happened. Most of the things that happened in the movie happened in some form in, in real life. Like the there's a bit where she's dancing with her mom. Like the dance lesson didn't happen on the beach or, or whatever, but they actually went as a family to that beach and hung out. One thing about JLo's performance that like super fans were nitpicking about was the fact that Selena, when she's saying she would put her mouth really close to the mic so that <laughs> her lipstick would get all over it, <laughs> all over it. Like if you watch the Astrodome performance, you can see like a top coating of the microphone just covered in red but in the movie that doesn't happen at all gotcha okay um those are some of the things that i thought were the most interesting so with that do you want to move on to quotes yeah yeah let's do it do you want to go first or should i i'll go first go for it selena big part of my life i in my like developing years years as a young boy uh that i had not really I didn't really realize how much she meant to me until I started watching this movie again. When like Como La Flor comes on, I'm like, holy shit, I haven't heard this song in years. And I can picture where I was when I like listened to it on repeat over and over again. 
You know, I, I felt like I was back in the 90s in my parents' home. Um, so the quote that I picked that resonated the most for me was, anything for Selena's. Mm, gotcha. Because, like, the, the film studies, whatever, you know, stuff that I went to school for, it kind of disappeared when I was watching the movie. It took a yeah. back seat. And I was just yeah. like, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm ready for this movie. <laughs> I'm no, ready I to feel you. Exactly. relive this. It's- it's funny because it that that stays on with you for a while. There are certain movies that just turns that voice inside, turn that turns off that voice, and you're mm. just like, I'm watching a movie like I didn't even go to school or that I've read mo- about movies or seen other movies. It's just like I'm watching this thing and I'm experiencing it. Um, and yeah, because of the, the history I have with this movie, I felt the exact same way. So my quote is actually um, is with. Um, it's with her mother uh, where Selena's like, I've been thinking about the crossover tour, tour a lot. I've even had dreams about it. It's just this whole different world for us. You know, we've been working for this ever since we were kids. I guess I'm a little scared. Are they going to love me, mama? And uh, her mother replies, see me, huh? They're going to love you. And I thought that was really interesting, kind of considering the, the road that this movie had. Um, people disliking the idea that they were making a film, J-Lo's casting, um, and it's almost kind of like, it's almost like, are, is this movie, are people even going to like me and me as in the movie? People going to like us, like the movie, you know, we've worked hard, and then you have the moms reassuring Selena saying, yes, they're going to love you. And they did. Audiences love this movie. You know, not Howard Stern, obviously, but it, maybe he didn't watch it yet. Maybe, maybe I hope he feels bad about it. <laughs> I hope he does, too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of I don't know. For me, I always like giving things the benefit of the doubt. And yes, I'm human. I will prejudge things as much as you guys do. But sometimes it just feels like fandoms are just way too quick to jump the gun on this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, I mean, you know. How many times have I mentioned Heath Ledger? <laughs> I feel like <laughs> you're going to mention him a lot in the future. Yeah, Uh, but (laughs) but uh, people, you know, people are way too quick to judge when it comes to stuff like this. And it's like, look, judge the end product. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be nice, but give it a shot. And I think people didn't do that with Selena and people it took people a while to do that with Selena. And it took a while for people to do this, to do the same for this movie. And that's why that's my quote, because I'm like, yes, the movie succeeded. Mm -hmm. And, And I think the movie succeeded so well that. This is going to be required viewing if you're a Selena fan and that when you think of Selena in the future, you're going to think of J-Lo and the wonderful work that she did along with Gregory Nava, Edward James Olmos, the cast and crew, Isabella, uh, you know, the the costume designer. So she's such like a a universal or almost universal, like underdog hero. Yeah. I watched this thing with with these fans that get together for like a Selena celebration and they come from everywhere. Like they're drag queens and uh, people who can dance, people who can sing like her. These all, all kinds of people just come together and celebrate who she was. It's, it's incredible. It's beautiful. She meant so much and it's a shame because she could have gone even further. Had she had the chance. Mm-hmm. Fuck Howard Stern and fuck Yolanda. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right. that's all we have for this episode. Um, next episode is going to be uh, special 
because it's going to come out earlier than usual. A lot earlier. A lot earlier. Uh, we're covering a movie that's going to be having an anniversary. A big, a big one that we did not want to miss. Now, the past an amazing that we've done, movie. <laughs> uh, these past movies, like even this movie, Selena is celebrating its 25th anniversary. But there's something about this movie that we just kind of we needed to jump on. And it's like we have to be immediate. We have to because I'm very passionate about this movie. Uh, I think I you're too. passionate. Yeah, it's a movie we're passionate about. And we think you guys are really passionate about it, too. Austin, what film are we talking about on the next episode? The on the next episode of the podcast, on a retrograde podcast, we'll be talking about 2002's Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and Willem Dafoe. We're going to have so much to talk about when it comes to that movie. So much. Tobey is the best Spider-Man. He's, I'm sorry to tell you, everybody. Tobey is the best Spider-Man. Oh, I agree 100%. I think he, <laughs> I love Andrew Garfield. I love Tom Holland. Toby's my guy. Toby is my Peter Parker. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure, and we're all, and this works out really well because we're going to be talking about Sam Raimi, who's directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to be talking about Spider Man No Way Home. So it's going to be a big episode, but a really good one. I'm excited to, I'm excited to talk about it with Austin. Same. Uh, so if you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at retrograde underscore pod. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, retrograde podcast, and we have a discord that if you DM us, we can send you the link. We talk about games, talk about movies. We can talk about episodes. It's a chill place. Now everyone's cool because... I'm always watching it. <laughs> I've got my eye on it. Um, so uh, we will see you in a week with Spider-Man. See ya.